Well, today we are going to, I believe we're going to start a new series. Um, I, I think it's going to be a series, so, and uh, I'll let you know what we're going to be talking about. But turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I think I'm going to call this series Our Faith and the Culture. Our Faith and the the culture. Now that's a working title, so um, that could change, but it's called Our Faith in the Culture. And we're entering in, into somewhat of a uh, post beginning of a post Christian culture here in America, here in the United States. And what I mean by post Christian culture is that majority of the people that are growing up today have never been to church don't anything about god they've, they've heard of god maybe but don't know anything about you know uh, jesus don't know anything about god but what they maybe see in a movie or on tv or what they hear people see post every now and then but when i grew up it was pretty common to go to church i mean i remember growing up where i grew up in the uh the housing uh, project that I grew up in, we had a bus that would come and pick up kids to take them to church, to take people to church. That was pretty common. You had buses that would come to na different neighborhoods and people would get, get on the bus and they'd go to church. And pretty much everybody went to church on Sunday. But more and more you see that a lot of people don't go to church and not just that they don't go to church, um, they have nothing to do with God at all. And you're seeing more and more people, Christians that did used to be involved with God, did used to go to church. They're falling away from the things of God. I forgot how many uh, young people, um, I think it's a million a year, somewhere around there, I heard a statistic, that fall away from Christianity. So what do we do to make sure that we don't fall away, that we don't become a statistic, that we don't become one of those Christians that used to be excited about God, that used to be excited about church, that used to be excited about the things of God, but now we have fallen away. We need to be aware of what the enemy's tactics are, what his plan is, and what his strategy and tactics are to get us to the point where we no longer are interested in the things of God, where we no longer care about the things of God, and we begin to back away and slowly back away. And pretty soon you, get, you could get to the place where you just fall away from the faith completely and even don't believe in God anymore, don't believe in Jesus anymore. Well, we don't want that to be us, amen? So we need to know and find out how we are to navigate, how are we to conduct ourselves and how are we to think in this culture that we live in? Because it's very easy when you live in an environment where everybody around you is serving the Lord, where everybody around you is living for God. But what happens when you're one of the only ones on the job or in your community or, or on social media that is living for the Lord? How are we to respond? How are we going to live and how are we going to function in the current climate and society that is going on today? 
Go to, uh, you're at Romans 12, right? Yes. Romans 12. And this will be our text for this series. And it says, I be, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So he's saying that because of the mercies of God, because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us, the price that he paid for us, man, present ourselves, present our lives as a living sacrifice for him. That means we're willing to put aside our things for God's things, for his things, that we're willing to lay our life down for him because he's done that for us. And because of his mercy that we receive, we're willing to say, Lord, my life, I place my life on the altar for you and have your way with it. Do whatever you want with my life. And it says, and that is our reasonable service. That's our reasonable worship, that means. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in order to prove what is the perfect uh, uh, well, first of all, what is just the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We can't be conformed. We have to be transformed or else we're not going to know the will of God for our lives. We're not going to know the will of God in a certain area that comes up. You, you know, there's so much going on in our culture today with what's going on right now with abortion and uh, remind me later, I want to pray about that. I, I forgot to, to pray about that. But with all these different things with, you know, sexuality and homosexuality and, and what, what should we think about that? How should we address those things? Well, if you don't know what the word of God says about these things and you don't transform your mind by having it renewed with the word of God, you're going to be conformed to think just like the culture thinks about it, to think just like the world thinks about it, right? You're going to think just like them if you are not in the word of God. If you're not digging in the word of God to find out what God thinks about these things, you're going to think just like the culture thinks about it. That word, so you're not going to know the will of God, right? So in order to know the will of God, you have to be in the will of God. You have to be, what I mean by that is reading the will of God, reading the word of God and changing the way you think. This, this book, this word of God is not so that you can just read it and say, wow, that's just interesting stuff that used to happen way back then. Wow. Very interesting. No, this is supposed to be something that you look at, read, and it changes the way you think. It changes the way you operate. It changes the way you do things. And it, it affects everybody. Uh, it's, it affects your life and the people that you are connected with and, influ and that you influence, your family, your, your loved ones. It is supposed to change your thought life and your life. Okay? That word conformed means to conform oneself, your mind and character to another's pattern, to fashion oneself according to another pattern, okay? So when you are conforming, you are what? You are conforming, you are uh, uh, 
fashioning, forming yourself to something else. Okay, and we talked about this months ago about it's like a mold that you have. You know, you pour some jello in that mold, what happens? It turns into that, the, the jello, which was liquid, and once it becomes hardened, looks just like that mold. Well, that's what happens when you conform. You're conforming. All of us are conforming to something. All of us are conforming one way or the other to something in our lives. And the, the question that we need to answer is what are we conforming to? What are we adapting to? What are we fashioning our life to? Okay. What are we, it's like when you think of that word fashion or something, you almost think of somebody like a, uh, what's those blacksmiths, those people that they are beating something, they're beating a piece of metal to fashion it into a sword. Okay. And what are they doing? They're hammering it. They're hammering it. They're beating it. They're lighting, you know, it's in the fire and they form it to the way they want it to be. Well, that's what we're supposed to do with our lives. We are not just supposed to let the culture, let the world form us. No, we are supposed to be vigilant and diligently transforming the way we think so that we are not conformed to the world, but we're conformed to the Lord and the way he thinks and to the way he operates and to the way he functions. So that's conformed, the word world. Now, when you look up that word world, no, you know, most Christians understand that we're not talking about the planet Earth, okay? We're not saying don't be conformed to the planet Earth, all right? So we, we know we're not saying that, but what does that mean? It means an age or an era, not, not so much an actual length of a period, but that of a, a period marked by spiritual or moral characteristics, okay? So that of an age marked by spiritual and moral characteristics. Other translations don't say, uh, they say, do not be conformed to this age. I think today a more appropriate word would be don't be conformed to the culture. I think culture is more an appropriate word for us to use today, okay? And the reason why I say that uh, is because culture has to do with, your cu with customs, it has to do with behavior, it has to do with a set of beliefs, it has to do with a set of values, all right? So you guys believe with me? Yes. Believe with me now, don't just look at me, but actively be engaged listening. So when you hear that word uh, culture, think that, values, beliefs, all right? Customs, traditions of this society that people share, uh, collectively share. And that is the culture, and it's all around us. Beliefs, the values, uh, the customs, the traditions that the world, the culture has, but does that necessarily mean that it's from God? And does that necessarily mean that that's way, the way we should think? Okay, a lot of this has to do with our thinking. All of this has to do with our thinking. It's the renewing of the mind. And you will think like the culture if you do not renew your mind, you will think like them. It's not, oh man, I, I'm trying not to think like them. No, if you are not renewing your mind on a daily basis, if we don't take this serious enough, if we don't take the command here 
to renew our minds with the word of God, we will think like the culture. We will do and operate and think and believe and act just like every sinner around us and even Christians if we are not careful and diligent to transform ourselves by the renewing of our mind. Transform has the uh, picture of a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly, metamorphosis. That is actually what the word transform means. It, it, where, where the word, uh, it, the Greek word, where that comes from, it's a metamorphosis. Am I saying that right? Metamorphosism or whatever that word, you guys know what I'm talking about. What takes place when a caterpillar goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly, they're transformed. See, that's the way we're supposed to be that. And that's the way it's supposed to be for everybody that gets born again. And everybody that gets saved that once they accept Jesus Christ, there is a transformation that is supposed to take place. There is a, 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 a transformation that they looked like this at one point. They thought like this at one point, but now they are completely different. Now, when you see them two years later, three years later, five years later, they are a completely different person. They're not the same person anymore. And that's the way it's supposed to be with us, that we are so transformed from the culture that when people in the culture look to us, they're like, man, they are different. Mm -hmm. They are not like us at all. And it is also the reverse effect where we are like, they think that way. Wow, that's crazy. Who thinks like that? Who does those things? What is going on inside their mind? And that's what happens when you are so transformed and, uh, and not conformed to the world, but transformed to the word of God and transformed to and by the renewing of your mind. OK, so in order for us to not conform, we have to be aware of the enemy's tactics. We have to be aware of his schemes and his devices. We need to be aware that there are certain things that he wants to do so that we are not looking uh, like the Father God and not operating like the Father God and not functioning like the Father God, but that we're functioning like the world, that we're thinking like the world. See, he wants us so conformed to the world in different areas that we no longer have time for God. And what happens? Your faith weakens to the point where you fall away from the faith. So we want to know and we want to find out the different things that he is using, his schemes and tactics to cause us to, to try to cause us. Because by the grace of God, that's not going to happen to us. Amen. But the things that he would use to cause his to cause people to fall away from the faith. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We have to understand the enemy's devices. We have to understand his strategies, his plans, so that uh, we know what to look for when it pops up. We know what to we we know what's going on when it arises. You know the 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 Bible says in Second Corinthians that that we be not uh, that we're supposed to be aware of his schemes. 
that we're supposed to be aware of his tactics. All right? It talks about in 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan like a roaring lion. You guys have heard of this scripture before. Before he, Satan like a roaring lion uh, walks around seeking whom he may devour. Okay? So there are some that he can devour and some that he will not be able to devour. Well, we want to be those people that Satan will not be able to devour us. He will try, but he'll not be successful. Okay, but we need to find out what his tactics are. We need to be able to know and identify what he's trying to do. So what we're going to get into today is we're going to get into different things, I believe, as the course of this series goes on. We're going to get into different topics so that we understand what he's doing. Because there's many different ways. There's not just one thing that he does. There's many different things that he does and many different ways he tries to get us to, to uh, fall away or to conform to the world. And today we're going to get into something that is, uh, well, you'll see it as we go on. But go to your uh, John 16, right? Yes. John 16. We're going to talk about, I'll just say it, we're going to talk about the testing of your faith. The testing of your faith today. John 16, verse 1, it says, These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. Everybody say offended. offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yeah, the time comes that whosoever kills you will think that he does God service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. And we can see actually that this came to pass in the book of Acts. Who remember Stephen, he was, or Stephen, however you want to say it, but Stephen was tossed out of the synagogue. He was persecuted and what? He was, he was killed. And then you have Saul, before he was known as Paul, who was given permission by the high priest to persecute Christians. And he was consenting to Stephen's death. So we, so this already has taken place, but let's define this word offended. So we're all on the same page with what we're talking about. You see this word that Jesus said that you, he spoke this so that you should not be offended. He's talking about what he was speaking in the previous chapter, but he said these things so that they would not be offended. The word offended, and we need to define this because you know, when you talk about offended, everybody thinks different things. All right. And uh, we want to make sure that we are getting what the word of God says about it. The Greek word for offended is scandalizo. If you're writing, if you're taking notes, scandalizo, scandalizo. And where the English word scandalize comes from, and that's where the English word scandalize comes from. Okay. Scandalizo. So you guys heard the word scandal, scandalizo. Yeah. Um, uh, the definition of that is a trap, a trap to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall to entice to sin, to cause to fall away, to make angry, to be displeased, to come uh, I'm sorry, to see in another what I disapprove of 
and what hinders me from acknowledging his authority. So these are the definitions of offended to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom they ought to trust and obey. So you hear those definitions, you get angry, you're displeased, you're caused to stumble, and you're now disapproving of someone that is in authority. Uh, you begin to distrust someone that you should believe in, and you begin to fall away. So I think we could read it this way, where Jesus said, these things I've spoken unto you, that you should not be angered and upset and displeased and begin to distrust. As a result, you leave the faith and no longer believe. That's what Jesus is saying here. And this is what we really need to understand about what offense is and what offense is designed to do. It is designed so that we get hurt, so that we get bitter, and so that we are we are confused at what's going on. We are not happy about it. We're angry about it. And we begin to doubt. We begin to distrust who we should be trusting in. And we stop believing. And we eventually fall away from the faith. The Amplified says it this way. I've told you these things so that you will not stumble or be caught off guard. Everybody say off guard. Off guard. And fall away. Remember that word off guard or that phrase off guard. See, the plan of the enemy is to catch us off guard because when he catches you off guard, that's how you become offended. When something catches you off guard, you, you can become offended if you don't, if you're not aware of what's going on, if you're not aware of these tactics. And he wants, he wants to get you at a place where something catches you off guard, you get offended because you're hurt, because you're angry, because you're, you're bitter, you're not understanding what's going on, and you get offended. And the result is that you fall away and even to the point of denying the Lord. Go a couple chapters over to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And we'll start... Uh, let's start in uh, verse 1, just so that we have a, a background of what's going on here. John chapter 18, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted there with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, come there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Who seek you? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Okay, so now we know the scene. We're familiar with this. Skip on down to verse 10. It says, Then Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up your sword into the sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? 
Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that door, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Are you not also one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Go on, go to verse 25. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, therefore, unto him, are you not also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, said, did not I see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again and immediately the cock crew. What, what's going on here? What, what's going on? Peter's faith is being tested. He's being tested right now. He is facing a test of his faith. And the result of that test, the outcome is he got offended. He got offended. And what does offended mean? It means you're, you're hurt, you're, you're confused, you're angered, you're bitter, and you're caught off guard, right? Because something caught you off guard. And the result was he fell away. He backed away and he denied the Lord. He even lied about Jesus. If you look at all, this, this story is in every account of the Gospels. And if you look at it, Peter, in some of the other accounts, he said, I don't even know the man. He said, I don't know him. You know, he didn't just say, I'm not his follower, but he said, I don't know him. He lied about knowing Jesus and he denied him. The Bible says in first, uh, well, no, you don't have to turn there, but in first John two, verse 22, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See, you may start off, you could start off denying that you're a disciple or that you're a follower of Jesus. And that's what Peter did. But it can get to the point where you don't just deny that you're a follower of Jesus, but you could get so far away from, from God and where you no longer believe and you say, Jesus is not even the Christ. He's not the Savior. He's not the Messiah. And the Bible says, who is a liar? But that person that denies that Jesus is the Christ. They're a liar. Anybody you know that's saying that Jesus is not the Christ, that he is not the Savior, that he is not the Messiah, what do you know right away? They're lying. They're lying. They're a liar. Okay? But this is serious that 
This is so serious that you could deny the Lord to the point you are eternally separated from him. You, you can, we could get to the place or any one of us could get to the place where we deny that Jesus is the Christ. We can deny Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. If you go back to John 16, John 16. See, it's not the, you know, the sin that causes people to go to hell, to be eternally separated from the Father, from the Lord, is not, you know, the sin of homosexuality, the sin of murder, you know, someone committed an abortion. It's not the sin of uh, of drinking and, and doing things like that. That is not what sends people to hell because all those sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus, right? He came to take away all those sins. He came to cleanse us from all those sins. All those sins are washed under the blood of Jesus if they will receive it. The sin that will separate you from the Father and from Jesus for eternity is the sin of denying Jesus, of not believing on Jesus. And John 16, uh, verse 8, it says, When he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, talking about the Holy Spirit, and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment, because of the prince of this world is judged. Notice verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me. Why do people reject Jesus and end up in hell? Why do they reject him? Because they, re they deny Jesus. They do not believe in Jesus. That is why you have to deny Jesus. We are talking about people who have heard about Jesus they know what he's done for him and they deny him. This is what will cause you to be eternally separated from Jesus. Second um, Timothy, you don't have to turn there. Second Timothy 2.12, I'm gonna read a few scriptures to see where you can see this. It says, if we endure, this is Second Timothy 2.12. You guys need to know these scriptures. It's very important that you understand what, why you believe what you believe. You should be writing scriptures down, knowing these references. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You see how serious this is? If we deny him, he will deny us. Matthew 10, 32, it says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my father who is in heaven. But what? Whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my father who is in heaven. And in Luke 12, 9, it says, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Do you guys see how serious this is? Do you see how serious of a sin this is in denying Jesus? 
denying Jesus, he will deny you before the Father. He will deny you before the angels. He will deny us if we deny him. This is very serious. So what Peter did here, this is a, this is a serious thing. This is not something to be taken lightly. But why would you deny him? Why would you deny him? I mean, and these are the followers of Jesus we're talking about now. These are the followers of Jesus that Jesus looks to and says, I say these things to you so that you are not offended. Why, you, why would you deny Jesus? Because you're offended at him. You're offended at something he said. You're offended at what is going on. You're offended. What is offended? You're hurt. You're angered. You're displeased about something. You know, this happens all the time where people get angry. They hear the truth of the word of God. And it's something different than what is going on in their life. It's something that is different than what they believe or they have thought their whole life or what the culture is saying around them. And because it is different and requires them to completely change and, and, and to even probably abandon and forsake the way they used to do things, the way they, uh, the people they used to hang out with, they become offended. They become angry and displeased at it and say, nah, I, and reject it. Reject something that the Lord is saying. They become offended at what he's saying. Well, that happens enough where you become offended at things you are in a, uh, in a dangerous position of completely denying Jesus. When you start getting offended at his word, getting offended at the Lord Jesus. But this is what Peter was faced with. Go to Mark chapter 14. This is why the Lord said, I say these things so that you be not offended. And he warned them that they're going to put you out of their synagogues. You're going to be tempted to be offended. You're going to be thinking, what's, what's going on? You know, you're going to be tempted to be ashamed, to be embarrassed of Jesus. You're going to be tempted to disown me, to not identify with me. And he's saying, don't be offended. Don't disown me. Don't stop believing in me. Don't fall away. Okay. And this is the, the test that Peter faced and how did he respond to it? He denied Jesus. Now, you're at Mark 14, right? I believe that I believe that Peter loved the Lord with all his heart. I believe that Peter was sold out to Jesus. Um, I really believe that he loved him. I mean, for a man to one moment he's fishing. And the next moment he gives it away, walks away and follows someone he doesn't even know, someone he just met. And he's with them day after day for the next, you know, three years of his ministry. He forsook all. He left all. He even said it. Lord, we, we forsook all and follow thee and follow Jesus. I believe how many, of you know, that's a man that loves Jesus, right? That's a man that is sold out to him. He left everything for him. But. At this moment, Peter is confused. He is wondering what's going on. I mean, Jesus went from the, the man that the, the, the crowds were flocking to. 
the, the, the man that everybody wanted to be around, where other people wanted to be his disciples and follow him. And Jesus said, no, go, go back and tell your family and your people. See, he had a special position, Peter. He was with Jesus all the time. And he saw how much the crowds loved Jesus and followed Jesus. He saw the miracles. But now he's in a place where he's like, what, what's happening? He's embarrassed because Jesus looks like he's no longer the man. Jesus looks like he's no longer that hero. He's being taken away. He's being cuffed and or not handcuffed, but, you know, he's he's being taken away by the, the soldiers and by the leaders. And Peter is hurt. He's confused by this. It catches them off guard. Mark 14. Mark 14, and I'm reading from the, the New King James Version. It says, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble. Or that's offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The Amplified says it this way. You will all fall away this night. That is, you will be caused, uh, you will be caused to stumble and will begin to distrust and desert me. For it stands written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The next verse 28. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times but he spoke more vehemently and i have if i have to die with you i will not deny you now at this moment peter is ready to go to battle with jesus right he's ready to go to war with jesus i'm ready to die with you jesus and i and, and he meant it i mean he meant it because when they came to get jesus what did Peter do? We read it earlier. He pulled out his sword. He stopped swinging it like Ronin or whatever. He started, you know, and he sliced off the guy's ear. Peter meant it. And think about this. Peter is not a trained soldier. There were soldiers that came out with their swords. If you look in other translations uh, and other accounts, they came out with clubs and swords, these soldiers. And they're trained. This is what they're trained to do. Peter is trained to catch fish. He's not a soldier. So, and he is outnumbered. I believe that Peter was really ready to die. Right then and there, he was ready to die for his Jesus. He is ready to die with Jesus. And, and but what happens? Jesus, he pulls out his sword cuts off his ear and then Jesus says, put your sword away, put your sword up. And Peter's confused. Like, what do you mean? Put my sword up. You're just going to let them take you. You're just going to let them, you know, tie you up and take you away. This had to confuse Peter, disturb Peter. And Peter had to be questioning everything that he thought he believed. Think about this. He had to be questioning what he thought he believed. 
about who Jesus was. Because before this, Peter sees Jesus talking to these same religious leaders, looking them dead in the eye and telling them, you're of your father, the devil. He's seen Jesus put these guys in their place before. He's seen Jesus perform miracles. He's seen Jesus walk on water. He's seen Jesus, you know, uh, raise the dead. He's seen Jesus open blind eyes. He's seen Jesus do all these different things. And now Jesus is just going to let them take him. I mean, why isn't he just going to disappear into the crowd? And they wonder where he is like he's done before. Peter is confused about this. He's uh, he, he's disturbed about this. And even though this is something that Jesus had told Peter and told the rest of the disciples that the Son of Man was going to be delivered into the, their hands, he still was not prepared for this. He still was caught off guard. He still was not expecting it to go down like this. He was caught off guard. See, it's not the thing that we are expecting, not the thing that we plan for that could cause us to be offended. It's the thing that catches us off guard. It's the thing that we are not prepared for. It's the thing that we did not expect that can cause us to be offended if we allow it. Do you see that? Peter is caught off guard. He's looking at his hero just going to be taken away. He is like, what, what's going on here? 1 Peter 1.6, you don't have to turn, the, turn there. It says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold tempta- temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, this is going to happen to every single one of us. Are you guys listening? Pay attention. This, not, not that this might happen, this will happen to every single one of us where our faith is tested where we are looking at something that can cause us, that that caught us off guard, that we were not prepared for, that we did not expect, that we did not plan, something will happen that our faith will be tested. And we have a decision to make in that, that test. Will I get offended? Will I succumb to the thoughts that are causing me to feel angry and to question and to contemplate what is going on? Or will I not? Will I resist them? Will I get rid of them? Verse seven, that same verse seven in the NIV says, these have come so that the proven genuineness, genuineness of your faith are greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, what is the test of your faith? What is the trial of your faith? Will you stay or fall away? That is the trial of your faith. Will you stay? 
Will you stay connected to Jesus? Will you stay believing Jesus? Will you stay hooked with Jesus? Will you stay connected to Jesus? Or will you fall away? Say that stay Stay. or fall away. away. And it's when you don't understand what is going on. When you don't know why things are happening the way they're happening in your life. That's when you're caught off guard. You're like, why is this happening this way? Put yourself in Peter's shoes. He doesn't get it. He has just let them take him. And now he is questioning everything that's going on. He is questioning, what did I just do with the last three years of my life? Did I just waste the last three years of my life? Did I really just leave my wife behind leave my fishing business behind to follow this man? What's going on? Is this all a hoax? Were all these miracles, that these things, were they just coincidences? Was this just some scheme for this guy to get rich? What is going on here? Do you see, and when, when you begin to question, when you begin to have these questions and you begin to doubt, You know what happens during that time? Fear begins to overwhelm you. Fear and panic begins to try to grip you. You begin to get yield to fear. You begin to get into fear. And that's what happened with Peter. He is he's out there with everybody else. And they're like, did you know this man? Jesus is no longer the man anymore. He's no longer popular. Peter is questioning everything. What am I? What did I do with my life? This was all a fake. This was all a. This was all phony. And he's he's feeling fear. He doesn't know what's going to happen, and he denies the Lord because he was caught off guard and he got offended. You guys see that? He was caught off guard. See, it's in the. We, we have to understand it's in the middle of the, that temptation that you need to be aware of what the enemy is trying to do. You need to be aware of, because the testing of your faith is going to come. But if you understand what the enemy is trying to do, it, you can make it a little easier on yourself. No, it'll still, it'll still hurt. It'll still test your faith. It'll still, you know, you'll have to deal with the thoughts that are coming and and, and you'll have to know how to deal with them and they're going to come. But if you understand what the enemy's trying to do before time, ahead of time, you can make it a lot easier on yourself. If you understand, okay, The devil is trying to rob me of my faith. He is trying to get me to a place of offense because if he knows I get offended at the Lord, he knows that I'll fall away. He knows that I'll stop believing. And we need to be aware of this. This is very important to your faith. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Because it's in the middle of all that. It's in the middle of all those thoughts. It's in the middle of all those, you know, the, the doubt. 
the panic that's hitting your mind, the fear that you could be tempted, that you will be tempted to stop believing. Matthew 11, Matthew 11, and this is the story of John the Baptist, okay? Now, John, he is in prison because, where, where were we? Matthew 11, right? Matthew 11. He's in prison uh, because he spoke out publicly against Herod because Herod married his sister-in-law. He married his, his brother's wife. So John the Baptist publicly rebukes him and publicly says, what you did is wrong. And so now because of that, John was bold, okay? And now because of that, John is in prison, all right? John the Baptist, or the baptizer. <laughs> Matthew 11.1, 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the one? Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not, what? Offended because of me. Put yourself in John the Baptist's shoes. He is sentenced in prison, about to be put to death. He didn't expect his life to go this way. I mean, I'm sure he's probably not expecting that his life was going to end this way. Think about this. His whole life was dedicated to the service of the Lord. His whole life was him preparing the way of the Lord. This is what he has dedicated his life to. This is what he is, he, all he did. I mean, he was, you know, we hear about him uh, eating locusts and wild honey and wearing camel skins. He was so separated from everything else and devoted his life to the service of the Lord, to preparing the way of the Lord, that when he saw Jesus, he said there's, he actually, even before he saw Jesus, he said, there's one that even though I'm before, he comes after me. And he is the one that his sandals, the, the, the latches on him, I'm not even worthy to untie. And when Jesus came and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, he baptized him and he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus and he testified that Jesus is the Son of God. He testified that Jesus is the Son of God. And two of his disciples, the very next day, two of John's disciples leave John's. John had a big ministry. Many people followed John and two of his disciples the next very next day leave and start following Jesus. And then later on, more people started following Jesus, leaving John's ministry and following Jesus. And some of John's disciples, they kind of got a little jealous about it. And they said, hey, these people are leaving and they're following Jesus. And John said, 
He must decrease and I must increase. I must become less. They must become, Jesus must become greater. So his whole life is preparing the way of the Lord. At this point, John is for sure with 100% certainty that Jesus is the Lamb of God, is he not? But now he's in prison and he's questioning, is he the one or should we wait for another? See, put yourself in his shoes. We read these stories, but think about it. He was 100% sure that this is the Christ. And now he's in prison, about to die. And he's questioning, is he really the one or should we wait for another? See, he is dealing with offense. Offense is looking him right in the eyes. Jesus, is he coming to, you know, break me out of prison? You know, what, what's going on? Why won't he do a miracle? Why won't he cause me to the chains to fall off and the prison doors open? What is going on here? He is questioning and he's beginning to have all these thoughts that are hitting him. And he's getting and he's dealing with bitterness and and uh, and anger to the point where he says, are you is he the one or should we wait for another? Do you guys see that? Do you guys see the offense? And that's why Jesus said, blessed is the one who is not offended in me. Why did he say that? Why would Jesus say that? Because John is dealing with offense. You guys see that? John is dealing with offense. He is dealing with this. He is, he is confused and hurt right now. And the reason why we're talking about this is because this could happen to all of us, when you are caught off guard and you are not sure what's going on, you could become offended. There could be some things that happen in your life that cause you to cry, cause you to shake your head and in confusion and cause you to scratch your head and wonder what is going on. And this has happened and, and, and many times with people, they have fallen away when things have happened, when things have happened that would cause them to be offended. When someone in their family, a spouse, a child, a, a best friend or whoever it may be, they were believing God that they were going to be healed of whatever illness they had and they died. And people begin to get disillusioned and confused and hurt. And their faith is being tested at the moment. They don't see it. Their faith is going through a test. And, they're, and, they're, and, and, the, and they become offended. Or someone, you know, they, they waited their whole life. They did things right. They waited their whole life and saved themselves for marriage, did everything right. And where's my spouse? I've, I've been faithful to the Lord. I've served the Lord. Where's my spouse? And they get, and then they meet a spouse. And then that's someone they think that they're going to live with for the rest of their lives. They're going to spend the rest of their lives with. And that person goes nuts, leaves them, leaves Jesus. And that person is left there hurting, wondering what is happening? What's going on here? You know, or someone has been faithful to the Lord all their life. They served him. They are 
obeying every step that he tells them to do, everything that he's asking them to do with their life. They're doing everything that he's asked them to do. And things are not going the way that they planned in their mind. Things are not going the way that they thought it should go. They're not progressing like they thought. It's not working out. And in those moments, people can get offended. We could all get offended. We could all start to be bitter and angry and upset and begin to distrust and begin to question the character of God. We never want to question the character of God. We never want to get to a place where we question God's character and God's faithfulness. Yeah, it's okay to ask God some questions. It's okay to say, God, I don't know what's going on here. But never accuse God of being unfaithful. Never say God was unfaithful or God didn't do something. What we have to do in those situations, I've done this, and if you haven't done it already, you need to, you need to know that when you're faced with those thoughts, that when you're faced with fear that's trying to grip you and panic trying to grip you, and you're questioning everything you believe, and you're, and you're wondering what is going on, that's when you need to say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I know one thing. I do love you, and I do trust you, and I know you're faithful, and I know you will not fail me. I know you're merciful. And I don't know, maybe I did something wrong. I know you didn't do something wrong because he's righteous and he's fair and he's just in every single thing that he does and everything that he doesn't do. God is faithful. Amen. God is faithful. And you need to remember that, Lord, in those, those moments that needs to come out your mouth. You need to say, Lord, you are faithful. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. You have never let me down. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening right now, but I know one thing. I am not going to forsake you. You have done too much for me. You have, you have never uh, hurt me or damaged me this far. I'm going to stick with you all the way. Even when I don't understand, I still trust you, Lord. Even when I don't know what's happening, I still trust you. I still trust you with my life and I'll still obey you. You need to do that in those moments. You need to do that because the enemy is pressuring you. He's pressuring you and he's trying to turn you away. He's trying to get you to a place of offense where you deny the faith. See, you need to be on guard and, and, and see, it's the thing that catches you off guard. But as soon as it happens, you need to say, nope, I see what the enemy's doing here. He's trying to get me to focus on what those people didn't do for me or how they treated me. The thing I was not expecting that. I thought they would be there for me. I thought they would help me. And he's trying to get you in a place of offense so that you disconnect with who God connected you to. So that you uh, separate from who God placed you with. Do you guys see that? That's what, that's what Peter, that's what happened to Peter. The enemy did that with Peter. He separated for him at that moment from the one he was supposed to be connected to. You guys see that? Yeah. Go to, uh, go to uh, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. 
Luke chapter 22. Let's start. We'll start in verse uh, 31. 22 verse 31. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. See, this is what we were just talking about. The devil wanted to rob Peter. He wanted to steal Peter's faith. He wanted to get Peter to a place where he is no longer connected to Jesus, where he's no longer believing in Jesus, where he falls away. Because if he could do that, he could stop Peter, an instrumental and influential part of the church. He can get, if he can get to Peter right now, he can stop him from preaching the gospel, from spreading the gospel, from causing many to come to the Lord. See, we don't know what's going on right now. Man, the, the enemy is such a uh, man. He, he, he is a bad dude. He is evil and wicked. And I, I, I cannot wait till we see him defeated and crushed where he no longer can pull off anything to hurt and harm people. But this is what he is trying to do. He is trying to sift Peter. He's trying to sift Peter. And Peter even though Jesus warned them this was going to happen, Peter was not ready for it. But notice this, verse 32, it says, But I have prayed for you that your faith fell not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. See, Jesus is in faith for Peter. He is praying for Peter that Peter be strengthened and that uh, uh, that his faith fell not. Man, thank God that Jesus believes in us. When Peter at this moment, after he denied the Lord, I'm sure Peter was not believing in himself. He, he had no faith at that moment. But Jesus is saying, I'm praying for you, Peter, that your faith fell not. And notice that he's praying that his faith fell not. Why is he praying that his faith fell not? Because it's not God that fails. It's not Jesus that fails. It's not the word of God that's failed, that would fall, that would fail. The Bible talks about that the word of God is proven. It's been tested. It's us and our faith that is being tested. Our faith is being tried. And I'm, I'm endeavoring to stress this to you guys so that you see the seriousness of it, that your faith is going to be tested. You're going to come to a place in your life where you have a decision. Do I continue or do I not continue? Do I question and doubt or do I uh, uh, continue to believe and continue to stay with the Lord and continue to stay with the word of God? Go down to verse 55. Whatever happens in your life, don't forsake the strength, your source of strength and your source of health. What are you going to turn back to if you deny Jesus? Who are you going to turn to when you need strength? Who are you going to turn to? Don't turn from your source of strength. In verse 55, and when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, this is just another account of what we read, and we're sat down together. Peter sat down among them, but a certain maid 
beheld him as he sat by fire, earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. And he denied him saying, woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you are also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him. He is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I know not what you say. And immediately while he yet spoke, the cock crow. What happened? Peter, Peter's faith is being tested and he didn't understand what was going on. See, when you don't understand, when you are caught off guard, when you are not prepared and you don't know why things have turned out the way they've turned out, when you don't know why things are going the way they're going, that's when your faith can really shine. That's when you can get and grab hold of a victory is when you don't understand why this happened the way this happened, but you say, I refuse to doubt you, Lord. I refuse to question your goodness, Lord. I refuse to question your faithfulness, Lord. That's when your faith can shine. That's when your faith can come out as pure gold. Anybody can have strong faith when everything is going good. Anybody can have strong faith when, when miracles and, and signs and wonders are happening and people are walking on water and crowds are following you and everything is, you know, hunky-dory and you look like you're the man and everything is, you're hanging with the one who's popular and everybody looks to you and loves you. Anybody can have faith during that time, but it's when things are not going the way you thought they would go. It's when things are not working out and, and the, way, uh, the way you expected that's when your faith is tested, but that's when your faith can come out shining like pure gold in the hurt and in the pain. When you say, God, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And it, 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 if, if that's happened to you already, there will be other chances and other opportunities for that to happen again, where you have to get in a place by yourself and say, no, Lord. I am not going to leave you. I am not going to turn my back on you. I will serve you. I don't care if everybody forsakes you. I don't care if I'm the only one in my city who serves you. I'm the only one on my job who's living for you. I will still serve you all the days of my life. I don't care if what I believe is unpopular in the culture or everywhere I go, people mock me and people laugh at me and people uh, persecute me. I'm still going to serve you, Lord. I'm still going to believe in you. I'm still going to trust you, Lord. That's what you have to do during those times. And during those times, the Lord will strengthen you. If you respond that way, he will strengthen you. He will help you. And the Bible says, those that honor me, I will honor and he will honor you. Amen. Go to, uh, we'll close with this. Go to John 21. See, this, this happens to so many people that they love the Lord with all their heart. You know, and I, did I finish reading the rest of this? Yeah, and Pete, oh, no, no, I didn't finish reading the rest, did I? Verse 61, I'll read it, you don't have to turn there. It says, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said unto him before the cock crow, you shall deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. 
Peter was hurting, that he denied the Lord, that he turned his back on the moment where he should be with Jesus, the moment he should be standing firm with Jesus, the moment he should be, uh, his faith is being tested where he should have not denied and where he should have been strong, where he said, I will never deny you. I will die with you. I'm ready to die with you. He wasn't as strong as he thought. And Jesus, it says, Jesus looked at him. I'm sure that had to hurt Jesus, that your closest companion, your closest, one of your closest companions, one of your closest friends, your followers denies you after everything they saw you do, after everything that you guys have been through together. Jesus is all alone by himself. He said, all of you are going to forsake me. He's all alone. But there's good news, though. There is good news. You guys in uh, Luke chapter, I'm sorry, no, what did I say? John chapter 21, right? You know, the culture is drifting further and further away. Like I said in the beginning, the culture is drifting further and further away. And many Christians have, you know, that believed in faith. They believed in healing. They believed in you know, miracles and signs and wonders when these things happen in their lives and they don't know what happened, they'll, people have fallen away. And to the point where some people say, yeah, I used to believe that. I used to believe in that faith stuff. I used to believe in that faith message. I used to believe in that healing. I used to believe in that tongues. And you can get to the place where people say, yeah, I used to believe in that, you know, Jesus, but I see it's all just a hoax, just a scheme, just for preachers to try to make some money. You can be, this has happened too many times. I don't know how many people that we know, that I know in my life that have fallen away and gotten into lifestyles of sin because they got offended and, it, and they were caught off guard. And in that time of offense, they didn't handle it the way they should. Now we're not judging anybody, but we are preparing ourselves to know what the enemy's tactics and what his schemes are. You guys see that? Yes. It's when you don't understand why. And people call that deconstruction. In the church world, you might hear that phrase. Decon people begin to deconstruct their faith because this happens and that happens and this didn't work out. That works out. People begin to deconstruct and pretty soon they're falling away. But we're not... We're not going to be those ones. We're not going to be ones to say, yeah, I used to be part of that cult, that faith cult over there, but now I'm not because I found the truth. No, we're going to stay with the Lord. We're going to stay with his word, even when we don't understand, even when we don't see what's going on, we're going to stay with the Lord. Amen. John 21. We'll, end, we'll close with this. I know I'm going a little bit over. So this is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And it says, let's just start in verse four. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, children, have you any meat? They answered, no. And he said unto them, cast your net on the right side of the ship and you will find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus 
love said unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little shift, for they were not far from land. <laughs> so, so he just jumps in and, you know, they were not that far. They're just like, well, you could have waited. But, you know, he was excited. He's soaking wet before Jesus and he sees Jesus there. I'm sure he probably was like, okay, what, what do I say? You know, I just denied him three times and he's right there. And Jesus said to them, bring the fish you have caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 153. And, f- and for all, there were so many. Uh, and the net was not broken. And then Jesus said, come and dine. And um, then Jesus, verse 13, Jesus then comes and takes bread and gives them and fish likewise. Now, this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. And after that, he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yeah, Lord, you knowest that I love you. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Jesus was denied by Peter three times, and now he's asking him three times. Simon, son of Jonas, love thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. What's, wh- why am I reading this? Because just because you mess up, even if you get offended, even if you get hurt and get anger, angry and you question the Lord, And you have a moment where you're weak and you have a moment where you get away. You can still come back to the Lord. You can still make things right with God and God can still use you. God can still use you. Even after Peter denied the Lord, the Lord still said, feed my sheep. The Lord is still giving him a place in the kingdom of God. The Lord didn't say, I have nothing to do with you anymore. You denied me. No, he, he got things right. Peter got things right. And, and even though he f- may, failed miserably, even though he denied the Lord, he got back on track. And I believe, and you can see this in the book of Acts, that Peter you know, was one of the most fearless and boldest disciples that there was ever of the original 12 I'm talking about. After that, he realized, I am not going to let that happen again. I am not going to deny the Lord again. I, I don't know. There's no other example that he, you know, happened to deny the Lord. But what we just read about your faith being tested, you know who wrote that? Peter. Peter, because he knows what it's like for your faith to be tested. He knows what it's like for faith to go through something, to be, uh, to be challenged, to be facing offense. Peter knows what it's like. And I said that he was one of the most boldest and fearless disciples because you see in the book of Acts, there was a time where after they just healed a man, him and some of the other disciples, that they were told by the leaders to not to preach and speak in the name of Jesus again. Well, they said, hey, we ought to obey, we ought to obey God 
rather than men. And they went out still preaching and still teaching. And then those people said, didn't we tell you not to preach? They, they, they beat them. They threw them in prison and they came out still preaching and still teaching. And, and they were so fearless and bold because he was determined, I believe, I am not going to be ashamed again. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care if I get beaten. I don't care if I go to prison. I am going to preach God, the, the gospel of Jesus. I am not going to forsake him anymore. And God used him to be an instrumental leader in the church of God. So why am I saying just because you make a mistake, just because you mess up, don't make the big mistake where you completely deny him for good. Don't ever make that mistake. Always come back. Always say, Lord, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. I messed up. I got upset. But I love you, Lord. And I want to serve you. And God will use somebody like that. But we are not going to fall. We are not going to fall away. We are not going to deny him because we are going to be aware of the enemy's devices. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you today. For more information on our ministry or to donate, visit onewayministries.net.